Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, we're thankful again for the opportunity to open the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that as we study these verses today, you would speak clearly to us. I pray, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would... Stay free from distractions, Lord. Free from all the things that keep us from you, Lord. And I pray we'd just be able to focus on your truth. And for the next little while, Lord, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, we'd be convicted, challenged, and transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin with a question this morning. That I suspect if I went around this congregation and asked every person, I'd give, get a different answer. Here, here's the question I want you to consider for a couple of minutes. What's your greatest fear? If you had to list out on a sheet of paper your top five or ten fears, what would those be? Now, if you do some research, you, you begin to see that there are some standard fears that people deal with. In fact, there are top ten lists. Here are the top ten fears of People in our country, in our world, things like the fear of flying. Maybe you're afraid to get on an airplane. Most people aren't afraid of flying, they're just afraid of crashing, right? That's kind of the difference. Maybe you're afraid of heights. I enjoy heights. Other people are terrified by heights. My father is terrified by heights. We went to, we went to uh, Gettysburg National Battlefield many years ago. And if you've ever been to Gettysburg, it's a sprawling, very large battlefield. And they used to have this real tall observation tower. I think the tower's been torn down. It was kind of a rickety tower even then. But you get up to the top and there's this observation deck. And so there's this probably three foot tall rickety looking fence and we're 300 feet above the battlefield. And I'll never forget, you know, I just walked right out to it and I'm, I'm looking down and my dad was hugging the wall, right? He's hugging the wall. Just kind of, he got out about like this. He'd look about like this and he'd get back. Why? Because he's afraid of heights. People are terrified of heights. Some people are afraid of speaking in public. Some people don't want to get up in front of a group of people and speak. It's funny to me, teachers will do an incredible job in front of two-year-olds or four-year-olds or third graders, but get them in front of a group of adults and they're terrified, right? Isn't that funny? People just have this sense sometimes that they don't want to get in front of people and talk. Fear of the dark. On and on this list goes. In fact, this idea of fear is such a kind of a big part of our psyche. They made a show several years ago to talk about fear. Fear Factor. You remember that show? How many of you remember the show? Had seen the show? Fear Factor was kind of a popular show for several years. If you don't remember the premise, basically they would get these people. They'd put them in these situations that terrify them and try to make them do certain things. So they would stick them on the top of this tall crane and make them walk out across this crane 300 feet above the ground and grab a flag. Something silly like that. Or they'd put them in a, a big pit of snakes, right? They'd make them stay in the pit for 15 or 20 minutes. You remember those things. Or they'd put them in a car and they'd submerge the car down under the water to make them unbuckle and get a little baby doll out of the back and swim back through the window and get to the top. Things that scared them to death. And you won the contest by being able to conquer your fears the fastest. And if you could do that and you kept going through all these different challenges at the end of the show, you were the winner and you won, I don't know, $50,000, $100,000 per show, something like that. It's a very interesting show to watch, to watch these people be physically confronted with fear. But I want to change gears just for a second, and I want to move past physical fear. I want to think for just a few minutes about spiritual fear. What are you afraid of spiritually? Now, let me explain what I mean. Some of you 
think about your walk with Christ and you're scared to death to share your faith. You have great fear, don't you? When it comes to talking to somebody about Christ, for some reason you just kind of clam up and you're afraid to share. For other people, they're afraid to kind of fully follow Christ. They'll give him a, a portion of their life. They'll allow him to control certain things, but they don't ever want him to have all of it because there's this fear that if I give the Lord everything and I trust him in all things, he may ask me to do some things I'm not comfortable doing, right? And so there's fear. So here's the thing I want to think about is related to spiritual fear. How much does your fear of doing the things of the Lord keep you from walking the path he wants you to walk? In other words, how much do you allow fear to hinder your walk with Christ? Because I want to take a look at a passage this morning that's going to, I think, kind of open our eyes to this idea of fear and exactly how the Lord deals with fear. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Now, we're going to spend a couple of weeks in Luke. We were here last week. We're going to be here this week. For the next three or four weeks, we're going to kind of walk through this passage because it's an interesting place for us to study as we think about what the Lord's called us to do, especially leading up to Mission LaGrange. Because there are some very clear things the Lord shows us and gives us in this chapter that I want you to see. Now, just a little bit of background, if you weren't here with us last week. Jesus, at this point in Luke chapter 10, has explained to his followers, to his disciples, that he's got to walk to Jerusalem, turn himself into the religious leaders, and be crucified. So he's fully aware of exactly what's about to happen to him. He's explained that to his disciples, and as we're in Luke chapter 10... He's literally making the journey southward from the area of Galilee down to Jerusalem for the final time. Now, we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. I think we have the words on the screen as well. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead two by two to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the field. Now hold that thought just for a second because we covered last week these first two verses. We talked about the great need. We talked about the fact that there are literally thousands and thousands of people in our area that don't yet know Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because as you think about this passage of Scripture, the idea that all these thousands of people don't know Jesus Christ is not really a problem. It's more of an opportunity for us. Because Jesus said the problem isn't that there are lots of people that don't know Jesus. The problem is there aren't enough workers to go in the field to talk to these people about Christ. And so Jesus makes this very interesting comment right here at the end. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The problem isn't the unbelievers. The problem is the believers. Not enough people are willing to go. And so he says you need to be praying for workers. You need to be praying for the lost. You need to be praying that the Lord would do something in the hearts of these people. Now verse 3 as we continue to move through this. Jesus says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Verse 8. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. 
Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, we're going to focus this morning. Last week were verses 1 and 2. This week we're going to focus on verse 3. Because it's one of these verses, I think, that we read oftentimes and we kind of skim over. And we may miss kind of the deeper meaning and the deeper understanding of what Jesus Christ is saying here. So just to be clear as we move forward, verse 3 of Luke chapter 10, Jesus has told them to pray. He's told them about the need. He's told them to be involved in verses 1 and 2. Now verse 3, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Here's the first truth I want you to see. Number one, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must go and share the gospel. Now, if you're taking notes, you can just write that word go down and you ought to underline it two or three times. Because verse 3 is very clear. There's no confusion. We can't spin it in some way that doesn't mean what Christ understands it to mean. He begins this phrase very simply. You need to go. Grace and I were talking yesterday afternoon, my oldest daughter, she came out back. I was working on my sermon, and I had my notes out there, and I'm not going to say anything bad about you, I promise. She's looking at me, she's got that look like, what is he about to say? I had my notes, and she said, how do you you prepare a sermon? I said, I really don't know, I wish I knew. I wish I knew, I'm still trying to figure that out. I said, but here's kind of how I do it now. I start always with the verse, and I try to figure out, what is this verse saying? Not what do I wish it would say or what would I like to say through it. What is it actually saying? And so we started talking through that a little bit. And I read her the verse and I said, what's kind of the clear point of this verse? And she said, you need to go. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Christ says you need to go. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to do more than just sit. We need to go. Now, this idea is all through the New Testament. We find it here in Luke chapter 10. We find it in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, kind of the go-to evangelism verse in all the New Testament. You'll be very familiar with it. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, what's the next word? You remember? Go. Let's say it together. Go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Acts 1.8, Jesus speaking to his followers says, You must receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's the sense here that we need to go. You can't share Christ to the ends of the earth unless you go, right? Over and over we see this command in the New Testament to go, but here's the problem with so many believers in our world today. We miss this truth. And I want to say something that's going to offend some of you, but I feel like it's the truth out of the gospel. We're not called to sit and wait for people to show up at church. We're called to go into the world and share. Now, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was a different world. People saw church differently. They saw Christianity differently. They saw religion differently. And in our world, 30, 40, 50 years ago, people still did come to church, whether they were a believer or not. And you'd have revival services filled with unbelievers. Now we can, we can argue about this all day. We can get mad about it. We can talk about how wrong it is until the sun goes down. But the simple truth is this. Unbelievers aren't coming to our churches anymore. You don't have to be happy about it. You don't have to agree with it. But it's true. 
We just don't have these huge numbers of unbelievers showing up at our churches anymore. It's just not the culture in which we live. So I think this idea of going instead of waiting is even more important in our culture today because of who we've become. Now, if you think about the New Testament and some of the people that we look to as examples, Paul and Peter, for example, the book of Acts is full of the stories of them going. They didn't build this model that said, we're going to build this building and have this church and we're going to expect all these people to come to us. They said, we're going to build this model of going into the world, right? We're not going to sit and wait. We're going to go and find So Peter went, Paul went, Jesus went. Not only did Jesus go, but he sends us. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, listen to his words. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Christ says, you need to go. It's not enough to sit and wait. It's not enough to hope somebody shows up. You need to go and do. So we've provided opportunities for you at this church. We've given you all sorts of mission opportunities. All the different trips we've provided give you an opportunity to go. You can still go to Zambia and Guatemala in the fall. If you're interested, come talk to us. There's still openings on those trips. We've provided Mission LaGrange. You're coming up in just a few weeks so you can go. You can go to the Breezeway Day and sign up to do that. I think it's very clear as we kind of think through this verse, the first thing we ought to understand about being a believer, being a follower of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus commands us in this text over and over by example and through Scripture to go. Now, that's the easy part of this verse. That's simple. We got that out of the way. That's obvious. That's the easy part. Look at verse 3 again. Because there's something very interesting about what Christ says after the word go. Go, he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, let's just stop there for just a minute. Because that's a verse I've read, as you have, probably a hundred different times. You see it, you kind of pass right over. But I want to think through what that means just for a second and what Christ understood this to mean to these followers in the first century. Here's the second truth. Not only are we called to go, but number two, mission involves risk. Mission involves risk. Jesus says, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. I say we just need to let that settle in for just a second. Because we think about the challenges of sharing our faith. And we think about the challenges of going across the world or going across the street. And we think about the the physical challenges, what that might look like, the danger that we might face. We think about the, the, the emotional challenges that we might face and how difficult that may be for us. We think about the spiritual challenges that we're going to face when we... Walk into the world to do mission work. And you say, why, why is it so difficult? Why are there so many challenges? Because when we take the light of Christ into the darkness of the world, the enemy is going to rise up against us. It's very simple. When we're willing to take the light of Christ into the darkness of the world, the enemy is going to rise up against us. And we need to be prepared for it. We don't need to shrug it off. We don't need to pretend as if it doesn't exist. We don't need to not talk about it. We need to be clear about what Scripture says because 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. You're going to be very familiar with this text. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's this sense in Scripture that the enemy, Satan, is going to attack us. 
Now, if we sit and wait and don't do anything, we shouldn't be too concerned about that attack. He doesn't really care about that, I can promise you. The less you do, the easier it's going to be. But the moment you step out on faith and you say, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to step out on faith and do something that's difficult for your name's sake, you can begin to expect attack. And the harder you push, the more difficult that becomes. Now, this is hard for us because we like comfort, don't we? We like security, don't we? We like to feel safe and at ease. So we put locks on our doors. We have alarm systems in our houses. We have airbags in our cars. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But I fear this desire for safety and security has spilled over into our Christian walk and it's become very dangerous. Because we've allowed, in some cases, to allow, to, to allow our desire for safety and our desire for security to stop us from going and doing all the things that Christ called us to do. We'd rather be safe than follow Christ. We'd rather feel secure than do the things he's called us to do. But let's think about the model of who Jesus was. You know, we see these pictures of Jesus and we see these drawings of Jesus and we see these statues of Jesus. And oftentimes he's kind of the calm, peaceful guy. And he, he was. But Jesus was a pretty rough dude if you think about it. You think about where he lived and how he grew up and, and exactly what he did with his profession as far as carpentry and how strong he must have been. You see the way he lived his life. Jesus was a rebel when you begin to think about it in a good way, right? <laughs> he rebelled against the status quo, didn't he? He didn't do what everybody else did. He didn't act the way everybody else acted. He didn't say the things that everybody else said. And guess what? It cost him his life, but he did it anyway. Jesus took risks. Think about all the difficult conversations he had with the spiritual leaders of the time. Think about all the things he said that got him in trouble. Think about all the times we read in the scripture of these religious leaders kind of whispering, can you believe he said that? Can you believe he did that? Jesus took risks. Jesus set aside his own fear for the sake of the will of his Father in heaven. One of the greatest examples of this is, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has finished the Last Supper in the upper room with his disciples. They've walked down across Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, up into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus goes, and remember the story? He tells the disciples, you stay here and pray. And they all went to sleep. You remember that? He goes a little farther into the garden, and he begins to pray. And you remember his prayer? Lord, I'm so happy to do this. I'm so happy to suffer. That's not what he says. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, listen to the words of Christ. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Let's translate that. This is kind of the way I see this. Lord, I'm afraid to go through this. I understand clearly what's about to happen to me, and I don't want to do it. Lord, if it's possible, take this away from me. But even in the middle of my fear, Lord, even in the midst of my uncertainty, not what I want, but what you want. When's the last time that became our prayer? When's the last time we prayed that? Lord, I'm afraid, I'm scared to death, yet I'm more interested in what you want than what I want. When Jesus spoke these words in Luke 10, he was literally walking to Jerusalem to his own crucifixion. See, he understood the importance of risk. He understood the importance of setting aside security for the sake of the gospel. 
His followers did the same thing. The disciples did the same thing. The early church did the same thing. They were persecuted. They lived in fear. They were martyred for their faith. And yet for some reason, over the centuries, Christianity has become tame, hasn't it? We've gotten very comfortable. And we found ourselves in this place where we take the easy path and we become complacent. And if we're not careful, we fall into the model of sitting and waiting instead of going and doing this is very interesting to me because as we think about living the easy life and as we think about taking the simple road, verse 3, in my mind at least, shatters that mindset because Christ says to them, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. There's this sense here that Jesus understood exactly what he was doing. He doesn't say to them, go, it's going to be okay, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. Go, everything will turn out the way you want it to. Go, you're going to be comfortable and everything's going to be fine and happy and peaceful. Jesus says, you go, and when you go, understand I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And let me just put this in perspective for those of us that don't own sheep. If you don't own sheep or not very familiar with sheep and wolves, let me just clear something up for you. To the person in the first century, they understood exactly what this analogy meant. Jesus was saying to them, you're going as a sheep among wolves. And when sheep are among wolves, sheep usually don't survive. So Jesus says, I'm sending you out with the full understanding that this may be incredibly difficult for you. It may ultimately cost you your life. You say, that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow. I mean, even as I say that, it's a hard pill for me to swallow. But I think we need to understand the truth of Scripture. This isn't an easy thing for us to digest and understand, but here's the truth. Our calling as believers is not to safety, it's to obedience. And there's a big difference. You know, if Christ had simply been called to safety, he never would have died on the cross for our sins. If Paul had simply been called to safety, he never would have walked into Asia and shared the gospel with the thousands of people that he did. If Stephen had been called to safety, he wouldn't have been stoned for his faith. So I started thinking about all the people in Scripture that had lived their life kind of on the edge, right? Kind of teetering between this idea of doing crazy things for the Lord and, and being out of control and yet following the will of God in all times. And so I started thinking about people in the Old Testament, especially I started thinking about Moses. And I imagine the fear that Moses must have encountered. You know, Moses was told by the Lord, let's just remember the story. Moses was told to go to the Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man in the world, and demand to him that he let his slaves go. <laughs> the very nerve of Moses believing he could do that. And if you remember the story, he kind of had this argument with the Lord. Lord, you know, really? I mean... What if he doesn't listen to me? What if he doesn't say, I can do it? What if he gets mad at me? And the Lord says, you tell him that I am sent you, right? I created you, Moses. I understand what's going on. You go and be obedient. Don't worry about safety. Don't worry about what you think is comfortable. You go and obey. Imagine the fear that Moses must have had as the Egyptian army chased him. Not a comfortable moment for him. Imagine the fear Moses must have had as he led the children of Israel through the Red Sea with the walls of water hundreds of feet stacked beside him, knowing at any moment if those walls collapsed, if that water collapsed on top of him, every person in his group would be killed. 
Not a comfortable moment for Moses, yet our calling as believers is not to safety, it's to obedience. I think about the story of David. King David was named and summoned to be the new king while the existing king was still alive. That's a dangerous place to be. It's one thing to be named king when there's not a king on the throne. It's another thing to be named king when there's one that's already there. And so Saul, the existing king, didn't like it. And so what did he do? He chased David and tried to kill him. Imagine David's fear. Imagine David's fear when he stood up against Goliath. This super warrior that all the people of Israel feared greatly. Imagine the fear that David must have faced trusting in the Lord, but the uncertainty of who Goliath was and his sheer power and his might. Imagine how David must have felt. He wasn't in a place of comfort at that very moment, I can assure you this. But see, our calling isn't to safety, it's to obedience. I think about Gideon. And I think about the fear Gideon must have faced as the Lord told him, you're going to defeat the Midianite army, this vast Midianite army with 32,000 soldiers. You're greatly outnumbered in the beginning. Imagine his fear. Now imagine his fear when the Lord said to him, the 32,000 you have are way too many. <laughs> Let's whittle that number down. And they whittled it down and they whittled it down. And he ended up with 300 men. Imagine his fear when he realized he had to defeat this army with 300 men. Imagine his fear when the Lord said, oh, by the way, you're going to defeat this army with only trumpets, empty jars, and torches. You're going to surround them. You're going to blow the trumpets and break the jars and shine forth the light. And the Midianite army are going to defeat themselves. Imagine Gideon's fear. But as I think about these men and women of Scripture that followed the will of the Lord, I'm reminded again. Our calling isn't always to safety. It's to obedience. And you say, well, I, I get that. I mean, I see that. I, I, yeah, okay. So it's in Scripture. So we are to obey regardless of circumstances. Jesus understood. He's sending us into a difficult place. Jesus understood that we are literally sheep among wolves. Our safety isn't important as our obedience. But I'm scared to death, you say. I'm afraid. I just, I'll, I'll say it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to share. I'm afraid to go. I'm afraid to do all these things the Lord has called me to do. Here's the third truth you need to understand if you're going to move forward in your walk with Christ. Point number three. Our faith must overcome our fear. If you're going to accomplish the things the Lord has called you to accomplish, your faith must overcome your fear. I want to make a statement that that may be harsh for some of you to hear, but I think it's very true. We should never make spiritual decisions based on our fear. If you're deciding not to do something for Christ because you're afraid, you're missing the truth of Scripture. And you're missing a blessing of the Lord. If Christ made decisions based on fear, we wouldn't have salvation. Think about Moses and David and all the stories we've already recounted. Think about Paul and Peter and all these people in the New Testament. If they made decisions based on fear, we wouldn't have the Word of God as we have it today. But see, we allow fear to creep in and creep in and creep in until it literally paralyzes us. And we're not allowed to do the things of the Lord because we're too afraid. But here's the problem. Let's just be honest about it. If we think through our fear, here's what we begin to understand. We fear All the wrong things. You're afraid of what that person may think. You're afraid of what that person may say. You're afraid to go to that place because it may be dangerous. 
You're afraid of all sorts of things and we fear all these different things in the world. And yet if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with the truth of Scripture, we're fearing the wrong things. We shouldn't fear what men think. We need to fear the Lord. See, our fear of the Lord should greatly outweigh our fear of the things of this world. And if you're making a decision spiritually based on your fear of the things of the world, you're missing what Christ has called you to do. I can remember growing up as a little kid, and I think through childhood, and I think through all the dumb things I did as a kid, right? You can relate. We all make silly choices, and we do things that get us in trouble. And I can remember those moments where I kind of had this opportunity in life. You'll remember this as a kid, maybe as an adult, I hope not, but as a kid especially, where you kind of had this option. You could do something that was fun and cool, and maybe your friends wanted to do, but you knew it was not the right thing to do. So I kind of had this this scale, this balance. I saw my friends on one side asking me to do something I knew wasn't right, and I had my mom and dad on the other, right? And there's this balance. What do I want to do? Golly, that sure would be fun. So I try to convince myself that it's right, or maybe I can do it without my mom and dad finding out, right? You know, you've done that. And sometimes you make bad choices, but I always remember making those bad choices and going home and mom and dad finding out about it and the consequences and how difficult that was, right? And then I can remember the good decisions I made where I was far more concerned about my parents' thoughts and what they wanted than I was about what my friends wanted. I feared the correct thing sometimes. See, it's kind of like that in our Christian walk. We're so afraid of what this guy at work may say, we don't fear the Lord. We're so afraid of what somebody may think, we don't fear the truth of Scripture. We're so afraid that somebody may turn away from us that we're not listening to the clear words of Christ. See, we shouldn't fear the things of this world. We should fear the things of the Lord. And when we begin to understand the fear of the Lord, it allows us to walk with courage into places that we probably never would have walked before. But Jesus has a very interesting perspective here. We need to kind of wind this down this morning. You say, that's very harsh of the Lord. (laughs) How in the world could he not be concerned with the safety of these people? He's telling them, he's sending them out like a sheep among wolves. That's a dangerous, difficult situation. How can he not be concerned with their safety? Well, here's the thing that Jesus had that his followers oftentimes didn't have. Excuse me, here's the thing that Christ did have that his followers didn't have. It's the very thing that we lack oftentimes in our walk with Christ. Jesus very clearly had an eternal perspective on life. He wasn't caught up in the here and now. He wasn't caught up in the moment. He understood that eternity was literally hanging in the balance for these people. And he knew as difficult as it may be for his followers, as hard as it might be, even though it may cost them greatly, the souls of these people that did not yet know were worth it. And he said, you need to go. You need to go in difficult situations. You need to share the love of Jesus Christ with these people regardless of what it may cost you. But I love the analogy Jesus uses because he talks about the sheep and he talks about the lambs. And you may be reminded of scripture where Jesus Christ spoke of himself as the good shepherd. I don't think he used that analogy as an accident. I think he understood exactly what he was saying. I think he understood exactly where he was sending those people. But I think he wanted them to understand clearly that even as they go as sheep among wolves, he's the good shepherd right there with them. 
I'm going to walk with you. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It may cost you a lot. It may cost you everything. But I'm walking right there with you. And if you'll just trust me, if you'll just walk with me, I promise you, I'll be by your side. We got to South Asia a few weeks ago. We had the opportunity to work with some incredible people. Some incredible church planters and with a missionary that we had partnered with. But there was another missionary there, a younger guy. He was from America. I'll call him Paul. And we got to have a, a really neat conversation with Paul. And he started telling us his story. And Paul's a single guy. He's unmarried and in his mid-20s. The Lord had called Paul to, to ministry. And so Paul had gone to seminary. He had answered the call of the Lord to mission work and he'd gone overseas and the Lord had sent him to the place we were, one of, at least in my mind, one of the most difficult places in the world to do ministry for a lot of different reasons. And he started recounting his story of when he first arrived there. And he said, you have to understand, I arrived in this place. He said, I didn't know the language. I didn't have any connections with any of the local people. I couldn't talk to anybody. He said, I couldn't communicate I didn't even know where the local market was to go get food. He said, I got sick the first few weeks I was here. He said, it's just almost a nightmare scenario for me the first several weeks. And he said, you know, I was kind of sitting by myself one day, feeling alone, feeling afraid, kind of feeling sorry for myself. And it's kind of like the Lord reminded me in that very moment, I called you to do this. And you accepted. And so if you'll just trust me, if you'll just walk with me, I'll deliver you. And I'll strengthen you. And I'll guide you. So this guy's still in South Asia. He's still working. He's still ministering. He's still sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. As difficult as it is, for everything that it cost him, he was willing to be obedient. So I want to kind of close with this idea. What about you? How obedient are you willing to be? Have you taken the comfort of life And the security of life. And all the things that make us feel good. And you've chosen those things instead of the things of the Lord. Have you made decisions spiritually based on your fear and on your comfort? Because the things that are comfortable in this world may feel good for a season. But there's nothing like being in the will of God. There's no hope and there's no joy that compares. So I want to challenge you this morning. Trust Christ. Set aside the comforts of life. Be willing to conquer your fear and be faithful to his calling regardless of what it may cost. And watch how the Lord uses you in a mighty and powerful way. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth of your word. Lord, it's very clear. It's easy to understand, but it's very difficult to follow. I pray you'd remind us this week of our challenge to go, to be a part of the solution, Father. I pray you'd remind us that it's not going to be easy, that it's going to be difficult. But I pray, Father, that you would strengthen our resolve. You'd strengthen our faith, Father. You would allow us to overcome that fear, to conquer that fear, so we can do amazing things for you, Father. You, You guide us, you direct us, you strengthen us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for a couple minutes. As we always do, the altar's open if you want to come and pray. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. 
Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.